Hello. Hello, hello. Yo. Welcome. Uh, hey, what's up? <laughs> how's it going? So this is, I guess, the third interview we've we've done. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty. I'm kind of watching the file grow. Yeah. So I'm. I if I don't have it, you must be cursed or something. Because. Oh my god. I, <laughs> But, um, well, yeah. all, the, all the meters working, man. You had the little red light bouncing up and down and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It, everything looks good. Um, the little button that says record. <laughs> it says record, right? It says record. It says, all right. Well, the, yeah, and there's, it should be good. Yeah, you did an interview with Suge, actually, didn't you? A long time yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, I, that was on um, a mixtape that he made because he was DJing and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, He interspersed the, um... His 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 uh, music with, with like the interview with me. Well, it's it just funny because I, you know, I realized that I know of two. You know, just me. I know of two interviews of you with you that no one's really been able to hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's crazy. You know, I I think I mentioned the first time we we did this that uh the Iron Burners magazine, the first issue they interviewed Nace, and the second the second issue was supposed to be an interview with me. And like I did a I did an iron burners piece on a freight. I did like a pre outline with iron burners outline on paper and like you know, did did the interview with them and the magazine never came out because they like folded right after the NACE the NACE issue, man. Yeah. And like all the stuff I mailed them, like I never got back and I never had pictures of any of it, so it was like, damn. It <laughs> uh, happened quite a few times, man. Hopefully this one will work out. But um I got a deja vu, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I, I just want to welcome everyone out to another episode of Wiretapping. Um, this particular interview has been, it's taken a long time to make it happen, but a lot of people are really anxious to hear it. So um, uh, just to start things off, so everyone knows who we're talking to, um, tell everyone your name and any aliases. Yo, this is Pre One from Philly, aka Crispo, Acura, Punch, Bonus, and a whole host of other names that I haven't even broken out yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess the the main name is Pre, though, right? Yep. So, how'd you come up with that in the beginning? Uh, I came up with that in '87, I believe. I was uh basically looking for, you know, a short name that I could get up quickly. You know, a lot of people uh, have, have long names, like five, six letters. I wanted to keep it keep it kind of short, and I was like, three letters, there you go. I came up with pre. I remember when I got my first tag, I, I just, you know, thought to myself, this, this is a name I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it big with, so to speak, and uh, I guess that's what happened. <laughs> so, do you have any names before that? Um, uh, tons of names. Uh, my first one was Z A S S. I have no idea what it meant, but that was my first name, and I still remember actually getting my first tag with that name. It was on a white cinder block wall, and I had a can of real cheap silver paint, and uh, you couldn't even see the tag. But I did that one tag and put the can back in my jacket and ran home and. You know, I was quoting scheme the whole way. Yeah, you know what? I was there. I bombed it. 
<laughs> and I thought I thought I was the shit with my my first tag. Nice. Even though even though it was horrible and the name was horrible, it was uh, actually still you know it stuck in my mind. It was you know one of the best experiences. Cool. So um, well, how'd you get into graffiti in the first place? Um, I guess the traditional way I uh, was into all other branches of hip hop. Um, I was into, you know, obviously um, hip hop music, and I got into break dancing. Um, I was never very good at that, uh, <laughs> although I, I did try, man. I got linoleum and cardboard for my birthdays and Christmas while everybody else was getting GI Joes and Nintendos. I was, uh, I was getting cut up refrigerator boxes, and my mom went to the uh, the tile store and bought me a roll of linoleum. I can't imagine the uh, conversation she had with the salesman in there, but. But I was definitely uh, a guy into breakdancing, and one of my friends in grade school approached me, and he's like, "Yo, you know, you're into, you're into hip hop music, you're into breakdancing, and how come you don't write graffiti?" And like at that point, I mean, I saw it around, but I really didn't even know what it was. And uh, he used to try and show me like a lot of the high school guys that would walk by my grade school, and he would, he knew what they all wrote, and he would tell me, and I was like, "Ah, oh, whatever." And then you know, the one day he brought in subway art, and that pretty much you know, I guess. So many people have have said that that book changed their life, and you know, so it's like a cliche, but that's exactly what happened to me. I saw Subway Art, and it just you know took a hold of me at that point. So, how old were you when you did the ZASS ah. tech? <laughs> ah man, I was like twelve or thirteen, something like that. So, what what was the situation? Did you just go out there by yourself, or? I actually was with my sister, who uh, I got her into graffiti as well. So I actually infected my whole family with my uh, with my graffiti, man. I even had my mom really interested in it at one point in time. She even had a she even had a little hobby, the little tester hobby spray paint cans. She used to have them in her purse, and she would write like peace symbols all over the place because you know my mom's like a, a hippie in the '60s and. You know, against the establishment and all that kind of stuff. But you know, when I got into graffiti, she, you know, it was just like I was so passionate about it that everybody in my house kind of picked up on it. You know, so I, I used to, I used to walk down the street and there'd be little peace symbols spray painted all over, you know, on the walls and everything. I'd be like, oh, you know, my mom did them. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre, but it's the truth. True story. So how did, um, how did the other names come about after pre? How did, how'd you come up with Crispo or? Crispo was like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I was cut you off, man. But Crispo was uh, kind of, of like, you know, a complaint on my real name, so I, I kind of morphed it from my my uh, my real name. It's actually my middle name, and uh, I took a little piece of my my real name and added adding in at O's and P's to it, and came up with that. It actually was originally was crispy. I did. I think the first one I did was a crispy. And then, uh, you know, trying to keep it with New York, like the New York uh, fashion of adding an O to your name, like Westo. I think Westo did it and Cento. And then there was like, you know, Charlie California was like Ocho. And, you know, he did like porno pieces and stuff like that. He always added O's to his name. And I think, man, that's pretty cool. So I just changed it to Crispo. And, like, I studied, like, you know, what, like, pre originally started out as, like, precise. I really like the way it sounds, like, and, you know, crispy and precise, they're all, like, you know, in the same kind of vein of, like, you know, just being real sharp with everything, and uh, that's what I'd start writing Acura, because it's, like, accurate, and I was just trying to keep all my names in that same theme, 
Oh, that's cool. Nice. So, um, were you into art before this, before graffiti? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, my, my grandmother was a, was a, was an artist. She used to do a lot of um, paintings and she would trade them for things that she needed. Like she, you know, her, her doctor used to give her like her shots and stuff that she needed and her daily, you know, I mean, her like yearly checkups, she would trade paintings and she used to do like, she used to replicate a lot of, you know, Picasso paintings and stuff like that. And, uh, with like really crude, like she was, you know, kind of poor. So she had like real crude art supplies and, but it was amazing the stuff she used to do with like, you know, regular markers and like, you know, cheap acrylics and stuff like that. But I, you know, when I was a kid, she used to make us draw, and like that was our entertainment when we went over there. She would, you know, make us do paintings, and then we'd have to explain what the paintings were with a little pointer stick. And you know, I guess that was their entertainment too. But I guess that I guess that helped me along the way. Nice. So, um, what what was everything? What was the scene like when you were coming up? I mean, where you were? What what was what was happening in terms of graffiti? Um, Philly was uh, incredible. An incredible scene. Um, it was just thoroughly bombed. There was no buff. Uh, I mean, every bus route and, and train line and train route was just covered in, in, in graffiti, on top of graffiti. And uh, there were, you know, illegal pieces on the bus routes, like, you know, full-color pieces. And, you know, just throw-ups. And it, it, was, it was amazing. There was so many people writing in the 80s. And it was, just, it was, like, impossible, like, growing up in the city, just, you, you couldn't avoid it. I mean, even if you hated graffiti, like, it was just in your face all day long. I mean, so it was kind of like, you know, I went to a pretty rough high school, so it was kind of, like, even, like, a survival tool in a way, because, like, I, you know, I'm white, and, like, the school was predominantly black and, and, uh, and Puerto Rican, and, it, you know, it was like, I wrote graffiti, so I was accepted by a lot of, um, a lot of groups that probably would have kicked my ass if, you know, if I wasn't a graffiti writer. So in a way, it was like kind of, kind of like a survival tool in a way too. But you know, it was the '80s and '90s were were incredible here, and uh, it all changed in in the late '90s. That's for sure. The um, the buff came and just took out everything here. But there was, you know, in the '80s, there was so many like incredible writers. A lot of people from New York came down here and influenced a lot of styles and influenced me definitely. So who were um. Who were some of the local influences? You mentioned scene, but I mean, in subway art, but who were some of the, the Philly guys who influenced you? Um, definitely my, my first biggest influence was Braze. Um, he had incredible, like, it was like a, a mixture of like Philly and New York style. He was already like, you know, he, he still is an incredible artist, like outside of graffiti. And uh, he was like my first, like kind of hero that you know graffiti that I used to like try and follow everything he did like he um he started uh bold art which is you know his crew and like he lived up to that name you know he, he just did like ridiculous stuff like full color pieces on the highway with cars you know right in the running lanes and like it was like I could never even figure out how he did it and later on after I met him and talked to him about some of them he used to actually build like crude like barriers around where he was painting so people couldn't see him because he was painting right on the highway in the running lane so he, he was definitely one of my like biggest inspirations you know in, in the 80s that really got me into it and then uh there was this guy spell um i'm not exactly sure he may have been from new york or he might have went up there a lot but he brought a lot of new york style down here 
and uh, C67 was another one. He was another New York transplant, and uh, the guy that writes that in New York in the Bronx, he lived in Philly during the 80s, and he wrote Cher, and he, you know, he was just, you know, incredible. He still is incredible, and, uh, you know, Braves and Cher were just, they were actually, you know, a team for a minute, and when they, you know, when they painted together, it was, it was incredible just, just seeing that stuff, you know, with my own eyes, not looking, not just pictures, just being on the bus, and, you know, there'd be an illegal piece, and it was like a full-color piece with characters, and that's the kind of stuff that I used to see. Wow. So, um, okay, tell us uh, which crews, who, what was the, all the crews you've been a part of and kind of from the beginning and how you got it, how you got involved with them, that kind of thing. Um, let's see, well, my first crew I got down with, uh, was probably in, in high school, uh, I was in TFT, the Supreme Team, I was like some, you know, local, local guys, but, uh, the most famous crew, like early on that I got down with in Philly, was the crew um, TET, which was the equal team, and they were like pretty much all cities, you know, bombers. There was like a lot, a lot of guys that did pieces in that crew, because you know mainly Philly is about bombing. Like we have like ridiculous, you know, hand styles, and and you know you could spend a lifetime just trying to learn and master them alone. So a lot of people didn't even get into doing pieces; they were just you know solely concentrating on bombing and and. And just doing, you know, tagging, and uh, I was, I was definitely more into pieces. And and the TET crew had like had a real good mixture of like people that did pieces and people that bombed. And I got down with them at a meeting. We used to have graffiti meetings, and I met, I went down there and met the guy that was, I guess, running the crew at the time. And he made me do a bunch of different hands on, on the paper, and he just said, "No, oh, you're in." Uh, you know, pretty much that was, you know, pretty great feeling. But uh. Just three years, guys. What were you saying? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, how old were you at the time? Um, I was like sixteen. I got put down with TET. Yeah, around there. And uh, then I got down to Bold Art with Braves, and he kind of he kind of quit in the late '80s, and I, I kind of took it over and throughout the '90s. I put a bunch of people down, and then uh. Network crew was, I guess, I put down a net in the early 90s. My boy SB1 started that down in Georgia. And it's basically just all about freights. And uh, I got down on that in, like, 92, 93. He made me, like, the Philly chapter president. So I recruited a couple people. I definitely uh, I put Nace in it and my boy Sue. And uh, that's still one of the only crews that I really pushed still with Network. So how did you um, how did you hook up with SB? Um, I met him back in in the late eighties. I actually wrote him a letter. I got his address through IGT magazine because I used to write to them all the time and never get any kind of response. But then finally, uh, the guy that ran the magazine, Dave Schmidlap, he he wrote wrote me back and he gave me he gave me uh, Coles for SB ones. He used to write Cole. He gave me his address, and I wrote to him. You know, there was no internet or Facebook or nothing like that. We had to actually sit down and write letters to to each other. <laughs> I still have a bunch of them, and they're it's crazy. The handwriting so terrible. But uh, I wrote him a letter, and uh, I went up to New York, and I didn't know nothing about the trains, didn't know how to get around. He told me to meet him at a subway station. 
I had no idea how to get there, but I just went, and we met up, and you know, we've been friends ever since. Cool. So what was what was the concept behind Network? And what was, um, I, we talked about this before, but tell us about this introductory letter, or this... Yeah, I got I got a uh, a package in the mail from uh, from SB, and it was you know an entire booklet written out of all the uh, all the rules and regulations of the crew, and and who who was actually in it, and who could put people down, and and basically the uh, the mission statement, which was to pretty much just bomb freaks, you know, just and just stamp them all with the network seal of approval. Cool. Um, okay, so any other crews? Um, in recent times, I got put down with, with uh, TMC. I'm pretty happy with that. That's um, Vets crew, and uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he was like a huge influence me on me when I was uh, just starting out when he wrote Share in Philly, and he, he, you know, his crew was TMC, and you know, that meant a lot to me. I actually, this past summer, he put me down with TMC, so I'm uh, pretty psyched with that. And uh, I also represent uh, MTK, which is a catch crew. Um, I, we don't really talk too much, but, you know, I'd like to still think I'm a, I'm a member of that, and I, I put it up, you know, a lot, and people always ask me about it, and I let them know what it, what it means and, you know, what it's about. So I hope I'm doing a good job with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Um, so I, I tend to think of you as kind of a solo writer on the trains anyway, but, um, who are some of your... Your painting partners in the past? Um, well, Braze. When I met Braze, I started painting with him. He took me to do my first freights in uh, 88, 89. So he was definitely uh, you know, one of my first like really serious partners. And then when he kind of faded off out of graffiti, um, I started writing with Sue at FEW. And uh, me and him did a lot of freights. And then I moved on to NACE. Nace was, you know, like a huge partner with me. You know, I guess the bulk of the amount of freights I did were definitely with him. He had a lot of spots in Jersey, and we used to take advantage of them all weekend, Saturday in the morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. That's pretty much all we did was paint freights. So how, how we talked about this a little bit before, but how did you how did you meet Nace? I met Nace through NU. Um, and you went to school down here in Philly, and uh, he actually was more into like DJing and skateboard and stuff like that. And um, he's like, and when he met me, he was like, "Oh, you gotta meet my buddy because he's like really into graffiti." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And then like, Nate came down to Philly in '95, and he painted some spots. I think he painted them by by himself. He did a, he did a few spots in Philly, and uh, like later that day, I got. A, I got a call from Enu, and you know, he, he said, "Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bring him by, bring him by your house." And uh, you know, I remember that the first day, like, you know, Nate came over to my house. I, I was, I, I was fighting with my girlfriend, so I really didn't even want company or anything that day. It was like, you know, pretty bad timing. And you know, he he came in my house, and you know, I was just sitting there all pissed off, and you know, he was just so excited, you know, to talk about graffiti and painting, and I was like, ah. You know, that's that's why I remember that because it was such a, you know. Such bad timing, man. But you know, we ended up making the best out of it. I think I did his book or something that 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 day, and then you know, me and him just from that point on, we just hit it off, and we had a lot of other interests, even outside of graffiti, like music and 
you know, other kinds of artwork and stuff. So, you know, really two peas in the pod for a while there. Cool. Um, last time we talked to you, you mentioned some of your trips to New Jersey to go paint with them. Tell us what that was like. Um, that was incredible. I used to, um, I didn't even have a car. I had a motorcycle and a big Fonzie motorcycle, like a, a Yamaha Virago. And uh, people used to make, you know, call me Fonzie because I didn't have a sport bike or anything. I had a, you know, an old timey cruiser, cruiser bike, but, uh, I used to load it up with like a hundred pounds of spray paint in a duffel bag and strap it down on the on the back of my motorcycle and ride up to Jersey on like Friday night after he got done work because I was just you know a straight bomb in the '90s. So all I ca- all I cared about was graffiti and racking paint and pretty much racking anything I could resell or whatever. So I, you know I was living off of that and uh, so I had to wait for all my working friends to get done you know to get to get done the work week or the work day so I could hang out with them. So Friday, when he was done work and school and everything, I would I would load my motorcycle up and ride up to Jersey, and we would just paint, you know, all weekend. He had at least like four solid freight spots that were just all day spots, and they were always loaded with like three, four rows of freights in all kinds. And uh, you know, then we would hang out in Manhattan at night and just paint freights all day. Cool. Um. So where were you when you found out that he he passed away? Um, me me and him had a, a, a small falling out, you know, over some really dumb shit. You know, I was like, I think it was one of the spots me and him went to. I was getting mad that he was taking a lot of people there, and you know, I think that's what kicked it off. And then I think he had beef with some other people that I knew, and and you know, things just got a little ugly for a minute, and we weren't talking, and uh. I guess around 2000, you know, I, I got a job and, you know, I had already had my son. He was like four years old. I, you know, I was like, oh, I just straightened myself up because, you know, I was like really didn't care about shit or graffiti and, and stealing stuff. So I was like, man, let me, let me just get my, my, my act together. And uh, so I kind of quit writing and I was actually in work and I got the Source magazine and I was in work reading it, and I, I saw the, the tribute page that I believe Zephyr did it for him. And I was just like, oh, look at this. I just saw the Nace Freight, and, and I was like, wow, let me check this out. And I didn't even know what it was, and then I started reading it. And, like, you know, it seems like, like everything, time just froze. I was just, like, floored. I remember I just got up and, and just started walking around, and I just couldn't believe it, when I, what I was reading. Because even the way, you know, that, that he passed was just, so ironic because like he was super safe behind the wheel of the car and he was straight edge you know he didn't he didn't drink he didn't do any kind of drugs or anything like that for you know for that to happen to him it just like you know it killed me and then you know i lived with the guilt of like our friendship you know ending the way it did and then you know knowing that i could never even talk to him again pretty messed up um yeah Sorry, but uh, <laughs> on, on a lighter note, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I guess tell us tell us some of the things you remember about him. Uh, he was a super funny guy. Uh, definitely into uh, into thrash metal and you know the same kind of music. He loved the Misfits and uh, you know Glenn Danzig and and uh, you know. We we just like you know we we collected paint like any time of rain we couldn't paint we would we would hit 
all the little hardware stores in Jersey. I mean, we used to drive all the way to the, you know, all the way to the Jersey Shore to all these little stores. There was uh, this one paint shop called called uh, Sipperstein's or Cypersteins. I don't know how to pronounce it, but we we um we had the list of every one of them stores that they had in Jersey, and we went to we went to like every one. It was like this crazy road trip. Like we used to like mark them off the ones we went to. So you know, he was you know definitely a very interested in collecting things too. We had like a crazy Star Wars collection and all kinds of toys and lunch boxes and really really cool dude. Man. Well, um, yeah, we have to transition to a lighter subject, but, um, <laughs> tell us, you mentioned your first freight when Brace took you out, I guess. Tell us, tell us what that was like. Uh, it was uh, incredible. I remember begging him, please take me, because I didn't even know where they parked him at that point. And, uh, so actually what, the first, What year was this? And how, how did you get interested in freights in the first place? Well, Braze and a few other guys were, um, were already painting freights in Philly probably, like, actually in mid-'80s, like, 80, actually earlier than that, probably, like, 82 to, like, 84, there was a couple other guys that were were actually doing pieces on freights. Um, one guy, Surock, S-U-R-O-C, and um, his crew was um, I-C-Y, Inner City Youth. Um, him and another guy, Dazer, and I believe Espo, they... they you know, done some freights. I don't know how seriously they took it, but there's actual, you know, pictures of pieces with characters and stuff they did on freights. And, um, Brace, you know, used to hang with all those guys. So I guess he got into it and he really didn't have any kind of philosophy behind it. I guess like maybe he, um, just saw them and took, took advantage of, you know, being able to just do something, do a piece on something that was rolling. I guess nobody really, really realized how far they traveled. And, uh, you know, what kind of audience you would have with them. Like, it's, you know, it was just something else to paint on at that time. But um, me, I just wanted to do a piece on a train. I didn't care what the hell kind of train it was. I was just obsessed with, with trains. And uh, I begged Braze to take me, and he, he actually took me at, to paint freights at night one time, and uh, we had to cross a bridge across this, like, we got, like, two rivers in Philly, and one's the Schuylkill River, and uh, it's, like, you know, pretty turbulent, river man and it's like real scary and dark at night and he took me up took me to this one spot and we had to cross a freight train bridge and like there was no guardrail or anything like that and when you walked on the ties it was just a straight drop right into the river and you know he took me out in the middle of the night to do it so we walked across this bridge and i was like you know trying not to fall into the in the river it was like 100 feet off you know off the ground this bridge and uh, that was the first time we actually got up to the trains, and there was all workers in there. So we ended up scrapping it. And then a couple of weeks later, he took me to another spot. It was this, this was a, a day spot. And, you know, we painted. I did, uh, I did like, a color pre-piece, and then I did, I did a Venom piece. I was, like, trying to explore that name, like the metal band Venom. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I did a Venom and two pre's. And uh, that was my, my first race with him. What year was this? That was, man, it's 80, I guess 89. Cool. Uh, I definitely remember, you know, I'm, I, you know, doing your first freights, you'd probably never forget that. And uh, to me, they were like, it was like painting a subway train to me. And I remember there was like a hill we had to go down to get to the trains. And when we were leaving, we went back up the hill and I just stood there for like 10 minutes just looking down 
and you know the pieces were little you know they were real, uh, they were probably floaters and you know they were, they were pathetic but you know when I first had them I was like you know, just looking down on them and seeing the colors on there I was like wow you know this is, must have been what it was like to you know paint trains in New York and you know, it was incredible so um I mean they had you know they had subways in in Philly right they had was anyone painting them what about mass transit yeah, we have we have um actually two two subway lines of Philly, um like the orange line and the blue line, and uh, one's one's elevated, one's one's totally a subway. It's underground on the whole trip, and they you know in, in the seventies they were they were bombed with with tags, and there was like some people that did like straight letters and I guess early like rudimentary pieces on them, but um I guess some graffiti trivia was that. David Gunn, the guy that took over the MTA in New York and got the subways clean up there in the late 80s, he actually, like his first big gig that he got was working for SEPTA, which is our transit, Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority. He um he worked for SEPTA, and uh, he's the one that, you know, taught them how to keep the, the you know the train clean. And being at Philly is like a smaller city, and we only had two subway lines. It was a lot easier than New York to, you know, pull the trains out of service. So now you know people. People still paint them here, but it's like really few and far between, and I don't think they run. I mean, I did I did pieces on on the trains in like '95, and and they sat in the yard facing the street for like a week, and everybody saw them, but I, I don't know if they actually ran or not. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, were you also into walls at this point? Because I mean. Yeah, I mean, when I first started out, that's all I, you know. All I really cared about was painting walls and getting tags on, you know, big intersections and bus bus routes. You know, basically in Philly, that's what you do from day one. You walk bus routes and, you know, just try and get your name up and bomb. So I was definitely doing walls um, in the early '80s, and I mean, like, definitely in the mid '80s, late '80s, I was doing walls, and then like I got into freights in like '89. So after that first train, did, did it kind of change things for you in terms of walls? Yeah, uh, it definitely did, man. I mean, I, it's like once I seen how how the first couple of pieces I did turned out, I was just like, you know, wow, you know, I got to come back here more and more. Kind of like what Case Two said in, in Style Wars, you know. I like how that looks, you know, to keep coming back. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, then once I knew where the place was, like after I, you know, after Brace took me the first time, I um. You know, I started making my own little soirees there by myself. You know, he he would have work, and you know, I'd be bumming around all day, so I would, you know, I would go to the freight yard. Oh. So, um, do you have any idea how many trains you painted? Um, I'm sure it's in in the in the low low thousands, man. Um, I don't count. I don't. I don't count a lot of stuff that other people count. Like I don't count throw ups and and like. You know, straight letters and stuff like that. Like right. so, really, the kind of the the pieces that I really like that I did, I, I probably would say probably like five hundred, like real nice quality pieces. You know, you know, more than one color and some style. Yeah. So, when did you find out that these things were that the trains were moving, that people were seeing them outside of outside of Philly? Do, do you uh, remember when your your train was caught by someone? Somewhere else? 
Yeah, I mean, I used to I used to trade pictures a lot with people all over the country and I mean all over the world really. And uh, I used to get I used to get pictures in the mail of, of freights that I did like from people in California and like then all the different magazines like Hand Control and uh, let's see Iron Burners and yeah, there's so many magazines throughout the '90s that uh, I used to pick up the magazines and and I would see my pieces in there and be like, wow, you know, how how'd that get out there? You know, where'd they get that picture from? And that's when I really started realizing. And I used to try to convince a lot of a lot of Philly writers, you know, because like I said, everybody was more concerned with bombing, like you know, the rooftops along the L train and like the bus routes and stuff like that. Like they only saw locally, you know what I mean? And like I, I used to try and tell them, yo, you got to do some freights because they, you know, they really travel, man, they're like nationwide. And I mean, a couple of my freights were even up in Canada. I don't know how you know customs and all that kind of stuff work, but they. You know, I have tracked them and things like that, and they they they've been up there and they've been in magazines and and you know you know Canadian graffiti magazines. But I used to try to convince a lot of writers, and you know, a lot of people in Philly just thought it was kind of whack to to do freights, that it was a waste of paint. You know, because like they they didn't really believe that they even traveled that far. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I I know the answer to this question, but did you get into like? How the trains worked, the maps. Um. Yeah, I got, I got really into that, man. Um, I used to, I used to call like um, Con Conrail was like a big company in Philly. Um, I think they recently uh, got bought out by uh, like CSX or North Norfolk Southern, one of them. But um, when Conrail was running, running stuff here, I used to call them up and tell them, you know, I went, I went to like high school or college, and I was doing reports on on transit and shipping and stuff like that and they would mail me like these giant packages to my house you know i didn't even care man i was giving my real address and you know i was just a school school nerd so you know they, they didn't really know what i was up to with it but they used to mail me like giant packages of uh maps with all the yards in it and you know eight by ten glossy photos of, of engines and, and you know like i had stickers and <laughs> you know it was, it was crazy i then you know once i realized i could do it with conrail i was i was calling like you know, almost every freight company. So I had maps like Southern Pacific maps and Norfolk Southern maps, and you know, I had like in my basement, I had them all hanging up. And like the Conroe one, like all the yards that I, that I used to go to, I'd have them circled, and you know, it was like it was like my war room. Nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, were you into the the whole hobo culture, or what about I guess the the graffiti that was before us on the trains. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely got into it. Like, the, the guy I always saw it the most was a solo artist. Um, I used to always try and, you know, if I was doing a cloud around my piece or something like that, I always try to, you know, be respectful of, of all their stuff, like the Rambler and, and the solo artist. They were, like, the two main dudes that I used to see all the time. And, you know, I would try to, sometimes I would write, like, little dedications or point an arrow, you know, to what they wrote or, or you know, stuff like that. And I actually heard um the interview somebody interviewed uh the solo artist and he mentioned me so i thought that was pretty cool oh, wow. uh, it was definitely an end of the end of that stuff too because it's pretty interesting so uh let's see were you tracing your freights i mean we talked about you know them showing up in magazines and stuff but is there one of your trains that has uh that traveled more than the others that has kind of a, a story to it Hmm. I, I definitely I, I did get into tracking them. I forget if, uh, if I figured that out on my own or somebody told me about that. I'm not sure, but 
if anybody told me about it, it had to be um, SB1 because he was, you know, he was into this stuff way, actually way more than me. And that, that was pretty, that's saying a lot, man, because I was, like, obsessed with, with, uh, with freights and trains. But um, we got into tracking tracking the uh, cars, and that was real fun. I mean, when it was raining or snowing, I couldn't do anything. I was laying around at home. Like, we didn't have the Internet and all that kind of stuff to, you know, get on graffiti websites and argue with people. We used to, I used to just, I used to just lay in bed and, and call, you know, 1-800-Conrail or whatever and, and punch all the serial numbers in all my trains to find out where they were. You know, that was, it was, like, pretty neat. They'd tell you if they were loading or unloading. And, you know, I used to track them. They'd be in Chicago or, you know, Nevada. And, uh, that was, like, super thrilling, man, knowing that, like, something you did was, like, that far away. Cool. So, um... Yeah, let's see. Uh, we had a. Are you? It seems like you. Well, you talked about how you kind of took some time off for a while, and then, you know, recently we've been seeing some new stuff from you. So, tell us kind of how you got back into it. Um. Well, I always, always, always love graffiti. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll love it till the day I die, pretty much. I mean, once it gets in your system, man, it never goes away, and uh. Like I said, like 2000, I was trying to quote unquote get my life together, and which I did. And you know, my my son's like older now. I mean, I have another, I have a few other kids, but you know, they're all you know getting older, and now I can start to do the things that I want to do with my time. And you know, my one my one son, I think when you interview me in uh, was it 97, yeah. he was only like a year he was only like a year old. Well, you know, he's he's a lot older now, and he's kind of He's kind of into graffiti, and his friends are into it a little bit. And they used to bring their skateboard decks over my house in like 2007, and uh, they had me painting their skateboard decks. And you know, they were coming out real nice, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, I miss doing this stuff, man!" Like, you know, I, I was definitely still into graffiti. I wore like you know, all my graffiti shirts and and thing. I used to you know made a lot of T-shirts with my computer, and you know, I was definitely. I, still read it and I was still keeping up with it and still still drawing. I had you know, I kept the book like throughout the whole time and I occasionally do pieces in it and stuff. And um when they started bringing the skateboards around and I started like really, you know, doing pieces again, I was like, wow, you know, I really miss doing this because, you know I guess like the 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 job I have, I don't get like too much satisfaction out of it and like I forgot how the satisfaction you get from like doing it like a burner and like doing a nice piece. Is like, you know, I get, I get like a lot of pleasure and satisfaction out of it, and as long as I'm getting that out of it, I'm gonna, you know, keep doing it definitely. But um, I did my first freight, and I guess nine years. I did the first one this past summer in 2009, and that was uh, that was pretty thrilling, man. I did a, I did a silver and black pre piece, and that was my first my first freight I hit in nine years, so. I'm back in back in uh in effect, man. I did probably about like ten, I guess ten or fifteen last year. That's definitely low numbers as compared to like you know, what a, a lot of people are doing nowadays, man. But you know, this it still felt good to me. <laughs> cool. Um. So yeah, what what was it like coming back? I mean, what's what are the differences? What's things you missed and things that you wish you had back then, I guess? Um, the thing I wish that I had back then was Google Maps, man. <laughs> <laughs> if I had if I had Google Maps, 
back in the 90s, that, that shit would have been a whole lot different. Because you can, you know, I've sat for hours just, like, following train train tracks and finding freight yards on that thing, and that, that's incredible. And I got it on my phone, too. So, you know, last summer I was, like, driving all around, with, you know, with the satellite view of my cell phone, just, like, finding all these underpasses and train train routes and little freight yards and freight layups. That's definitely a tool I wish I had back then. Um, the thing I miss is probably a lot of old paint. Like, Krylon's is total crap now. It's just not even in the equation anymore. Right. Um, I definitely miss that because I used to outline all my pieces of Krylon with, you know, New York thin caps or the old gray German thin caps. And uh, I definitely miss that because now I'm forced to buy, like, you know, Euro paint. I can't rack it. Not that I would, you know, probably at this stage in the game, but, um, you, you know, you have to buy it and it's, like, ridiculously expensive. And, uh, you know... I, I bought like some iron lacks just like to uh, just to outline with, but definitely things that have changed is the quantity of graffiti on freight trains is like astronomical now. I mean, I've been to a couple spots and there wasn't even a clean train to paint on. I had to go over people, and that was just like unheard of when when I was doing freight. I mean, we were lucky if we went to a spot and there was one like hollow frog on, on a train. You know, now it's like I, I went to a spot and I was. I'm rubbing my hand along to see if the paint was wet. That's how bomb the like, couple of spots I went to are. It's, it's crazy. And I watched the trains go across. Um, we have a, a line that runs right through Center City, Philadelphia. It's called the High Line. And uh, there's constant freight activity up there. So, like, sometimes I work night work, so I'll, I'll take, you know, one of my breaks. I'll just go sit out there and, and watch the trains go over the bridge. And it's it's insane, man. It, they look like subways, like, from, from the 80s in New York, man. They're, they're bombed. That's definitely something to change. So yeah, I guess I, I guess that's a change for the better, man. Yeah. Oh, better and worse, I guess. Um, <laughs> so depends depends on on what what it is on on the train because I I do see a lot of a lot of a lot of garbage on there, man. Right. Well, um, were you surprised that kind of you know that writers are making paint now that how sort of established it's become or. And what was that? I mean, were you surprised that like graffiti writers are making paint now? And um, I mean, I guess it's always been there's been kind of that there've been magazines and stuff like that, but not to this level. Were you sort of was that? <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm I'm jealous of all of the European writers, man. They they got it made, man. It's it's crazy, like how America starts like so many trends, and then we just like. You know, the media and everything just kills them, you know, and then, like, it seems like Europe and, like, and Asia and, you know, Japan and everything, they, they pick up all, all these trends and, and things that we start and they just make them beautiful, man, and they, like, they keep them going, you know, I mean, they got trains with graffiti on them over there, I mean, they don't, a lot of the countries don't have, like, all these harsh laws and stuff against graffiti, I mean, they got companies just catering to graffiti writers, you know, making making colors and you know what i mean I'm, I'm like super jealous of like you know all the european writers man they don't even realize how good how good they got it i mean we gotta to get the paint we gotta get it shipped over here and, and pay like nine dollars a can for it <laughs> and like you know our our spray paint companies you know Cryon and rust all it seems like they're just trying to destroy us you know i mean we're we're their customer base and i whether they want to believe it or not man we're the ones that buy the paint we're the ones that steal the paint 
<laughs> that they still get paid for even if we steal it. And they just like want to make it harder and harder and harder. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about the internet? Um. How much time do you spend on the internet? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I got kids, so it's like, you know, I can't just, you know, just get up and go out and do the everything I want to do, man. So a lot of times I'm stuck in the house, and uh, I do get on there and. I, I don't know. It's I, I thought it was like bad at first, and I, I guess it's cool in a way because you know you're definitely exposed to way more you know styles, and you know you could you know I don't know if you want me to name websites or whatever, but like the, you know one that I go on is is a numerical has a number in it, but uh, <laughs> the website I go on and uh, you know there every country has has a, has a thread or every, you know every city in every country has a thread, and it's pretty cool like just to go through them all and you see like all, all different styles and, and techniques and you can talk about, you know, paint and talk about different, you know, supplies. And we, you know, we couldn't do that back in the day. I mean, if, if I wanted a mop, I had to make it, you know what I mean? And like now I had to figure out how to make it. Now, if I, you know, if I was just starting out and didn't know how to make a marker, you know, there's YouTube videos that teach you how to do it and, you know, or you can get on a thread and there's somebody explaining how to, how to make a marker or make ink or whatever. You know, like we, we, I, I like to think I was one of the pioneers with mixing spray paint, cause um, like me and Nace had that shit down to a science, man. Like we used to make, make jungle green and make all discontinued Krylon colors, and you know, we we actually had formulas for mixing paint, and like I, I kind of developed a formula where I would I would spray certain colors into another color, and I would count, you know, like one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And, you know, like, jungle green, I would, like, count to 10, spraying, like, hunter green into, I forget what the yellow I used to use, but I used to just, you know, all my formulas were counting how long I sprayed the color into the other can. And, you know, like, people people would, would buy the jungle greens off, off of me and Nate, so we made them constantly. Like, if you look at, like, a lot of a lot of my crystal pieces in, in the 90s, like, there's a lot of weird colors in them, and, like, people try to figure out what they are, but it's it's all mixed stuff. I used to take all my scraps and mix them together. And uh, I would mix like mix some rust on with some like weaker you know weaker Krylon and try and like fatten it up a little bit. So did you I mean come up with this idea, of, or did someone? I mean, um, and how did you do people, it? Walk us, tell us how you did it. Um, some people were definitely doing it before me. I forget how I found out about it, but we used to take um WD forty, which is like a lubricant spray for for metal and hinges and stuff like that. They come with caps with these red straws and um we would just take two of the caps and you know put one one on one can one on the other and connect it with the red straw and uh basically the color that you wanted to use as, a, as the base would you put in the freezer and you would you know make it super cold and that decreases the air pressure in the can and uh, the can that you wanted to force into that can you had to heat up so we would heat it up under hot water until you know it was so hot that you could barely hold it and then um, just connect it up, and when you press down on the hot can first, it forces the paint into the cold can, and you know that's how we did it. And we would just either mix all of our scraps together, or we had you know formulas for certain colors that we wanted to use. Nice. And uh, you know we actually wrote them down on what happened to that list, but I don't know if Nate had it or. And if you ever see this Street Soldier video, there's a small. Um, and it was a video that we made back in I think it was like '98 or something. There's like a small bubble. 
in one of the segments, and it's it's like Nace. It's a video of Nace um, mixing paint in his basement. Cool. Um, okay, so you mentioned you go onto this uh, website. Um, are there are there writers now? I guess younger writers who whose stuff you really like. Who I, I don't know if I want to say inspire you, but I guess stuff you like looking at. <laughs> uh, that definitely, I, I couldn't believe. I mean, a lot of stuff. You know, I guess when I started really getting on a lot of different websites and like uh, the Go Six O Seven, I started really looking at them. Um, that dude Quest. I mean, he, he's incredible. The stuff he's doing on freights. I mean, I thought my pieces were complicated, and they're like, like child's play to what he's doing, man. But that dude, you know, they're doing whole cars, and that's something I never did, which I'm hope, hopefully I'll, I'll do one day, man. But uh, um, Ken, I love his, his freights. are incredible. Um, there's so many, man. But, like, there are two that really stand out in my mind is um, Ken and, and Quest. Cool. Um, I mean... That's, I definitely thank the internet for that, though, because it definitely turned me on to a lot of writers I probably would have never heard of, like, you know, because it's not too many magazines anymore, and if, you know, if there are, you don't sell them anywhere, really, in Philly. So without the internet, like, I, you know, you wouldn't even really be exposed to so many, like, great artists, man. Yeah, but, you know, if there wasn't the internet, there'd probably be more graffiti magazines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess it is a seesaw effect there, man. So, um... I guess, you know, I ask this on every interview, but do you have, have any good chase stories? Um, the, one, the one that always stuck out in my mind is the one where I, uh, I got the worst case of poison ivy in my life, man. That was, um, I was doing freights. I had about five or six of my protégés with me. I used to, you know, I used to actually get ridiculed a lot because I used to hang around with a lot of toys and, you know, some... Some of the bigger writers that I knew used to always be like, "Oh, pretty, you know, you hang, you hang with toys that you are a toy." Like they used to tell me that all the time. But I felt like I was doing, you know, my duty and trying to pass on what I knew to, you know, the generation, you know, under me. And um, it's funny because the dudes that I, that I used to school, quote unquote, they all kind of got out of graffiti when I did, and they never really, you know, they never really kept it up because if they did, they, they probably would have been incredible. Because I mean, when I knew them, they were good. And it's just weird, man. It's like when I when I when I stopped, it's like everybody just stopped with me, you know. And and um, the people that I I like indirectly influenced went on to be like really you know great great writers, man. Like I, I consider Enyu to be one of them. I mean, he he was around me when he was like just getting into graffiti, and he was he was like even you know I wasn't even really into graffiti. He was into DJ and skating and stuff like that, and graffiti was like a side little side hobby, but now, you know, dude, like, blew up, man, he's, you know, I'm, like, real proud of him, man, cool. you know, his, his style's, like, real nice, man, he, I think he's sponsored by Iron Lack and, and, and some, like, big crews and stuff like that, and it was just funny, man, like, the people that I tried to influence all kind of quit, but the people that were, like, just around me, like, indirectly influenced by me, they all went off to stardom, I guess you could say. But uh, that that story, you know, we I mean, we were we were all painting, and um, I sent we we saw a truck down like the end of this gravel driveway that led into the freight yard, and uh, I sent um two guys two of the guys are with. I was like, yo, leave all your stuff here and go out here and see what's going on. If you don't have nothing on you and they grab you, you know, you just be like, you know, just say we're walking through here or whatever. So I sent them down, and we were all at the top of this driveway. 
and we're watching them walk down, and then all of a sudden the truck just like threw in, threw it into reverse and like just went back and up real quick and kicked up this giant cloud of rocks and gravel, and I just seen the two guys just like turn back around and start you know sprinting back to where we were. I was like, oh my god, man! So we all ran into the into the um into the woods. And, you know, we were running for a while, and we got to this wall. It was like a stone wall. I don't even know when it was built. It was probably like some Revolutionary War shit or something. I don't know. It was like a kind of like a retaining wall. And uh, it dropped right off into the river with like a little tiny, like a little patch of grass at the bottom. So we ran and stopped. We're like, oh, my God, man, we almost ran right off this. So we turned around, and we started climbing down the wall. But my, my one friend, he wrote Rake, he, uh, he just was running and you know we were climbing down the wall and i just heard the rustle of the, of the leaves and he just went sailing right off the wall <laughs> just right over our heads and we, we were just we just watched him like just like vault right over us and uh he went he went all the way down to the you know off the wall and landed on his head at the bottom of a tree and you know we were all we we're holding on to the wall with our hands stuck in these little little cracks trying to climb down and we're all looking down over our shoulder at him, and you know we're like at first like you all right, man, and you know he was all dazed, and you know then everybody started laughing. Once we realized he was conscious and you know didn't break his neck, man, it was just that was hilarious. But we ended up uh, having we had to walk through like I don't even know, man. It seemed like forever, but it was probably like a mile. We were just walking along the river, and we were walking through all these uh, bushes that were like you know over our head, how how thick they were. And they were all stinging nettle bushes, which are like, you know, you got a little chemical in them that burns your skin like when, when they sting you. We, we walked through all these stinging nettles, and apparently we were walking through poison ivy that I was oblivious to because I was too worried about getting caught and everything like that. You just, you don't even care, you know, when you're running from, from somebody. You don't even care what you're running through. But, uh, like, two, three days later, I broke out with, like, the craziest case of poison ivy, man. I had, like four-inch blisters off my arms, and, and I was, like, bedridden for a couple of weeks, just covered in, in a calamine lotion, man. <laughs> and I don't even, I don't even actually know if those guys were, were chasing us, because we, we just, we just, you know, we saw them back up, and, and it looked like they were coming at us, but, you know, we weren't going to stick around and try and find out, but that was, that was one of the worst times, man, all just because of what happened. But, you know, for the most part, I tried to you know, I really tried to model myself after um after Sento in New York because that dude was like straight up like all about, you know, like military kind of tactics. You know what I mean? He he would he would go out and be like just blacked out from head to toe with you know like a black you know knit hat on and you know he was like a ninja. You know what I mean? And like that when I went to paint, I tried to be like that because I'm not I was never like a super fast runner, so I had to I learned my way in and out of spots and I I knew you know where people could come in. And if they came in that way, I knew how to get out the other way or, you know, et cetera. So I tried to, I tried to like, use a lot of tactics like that to minimize my, my chances of being chased or caught. Cool. So um, kind of the flip side of that. Well, actually, what was the best year of graffiti for you? Um, looking back over all my pictures, I've been posting a lot of pictures online and on my uh, MySpace, and uh, I, I'd definitely say 97 was, like, was like a pretty pretty good year, man. I did like my my style started to like really come together, and and uh, I was just doing a lot of pieces, a lot of freights, a lot of walls. I mean, like at that in ninety seven, ninety eight, I had I like kind of prided myself on the fact that like you couldn't really 
you couldn't leave Philly on like any road without seeing a piece that I did, not just like a tag or a throw up or something like that. I had like color pieces on, on like route one, you know, I had pieces on I-95, I had pieces on the turnpike, you know, the Pennsylvania turnpike. So it was like, you know, and the, the R7 train, which is the train that goes up, you know, people usually take when they want to go to New York. I had like crazy pieces along that. That was like, I used to write styles for miles. Cause like, you know, that's like one of the other things that we did. Like we paint freights, you know, on Saturday or whatever. And on, on Sunday, you know, I guess when everybody's watching football or at church or whatever, we were just like tearing up the train line. And like, you know, I had the, you know, the R7 line almost from like center city, Philadelphia to like to Trenton almost with, with pieces. You know, I wasn't just bombing them and I wasn't like just with tags or I wasn't just doing throw ups. I was like doing color pieces and, uh, you know, Nace used to come down. We, you know, it's one of the things we used to do too. So, like, the R seven was like our playground. Nice. So yeah, uh, like I was saying before, the flip side of the chase story. Do, do you have sort of uh, your most memorable experience, or one of the the best missions that you went on? Um. Hmm. I so many, I got so many fond memories of, of uh, graffiti, man. He's doing productions down here. We used to do, you know, full color productions of backgrounds. Like me and Nate, we do like Halloween productions, and they were always fun. I mean, Sento came down to Philly a couple times, hung out with me, and painted. They were, you know, pretty memorable. Um, he, you know, he came down here one time. He brought like uh, a bunch of dudes from Europe that didn't even speak English, and you know, all these guys were staying in my house. <laughs> and luckily, you know, luckily, luckily, my mom was cool because I was living at home at the time. And uh, you know, I had all I had three three dudes from like Sweden or Switzerland in my house, and they didn't even speak English. And you know, then I had sent there, and uh, you know, we used to we went rack and paint, and you know, that was good times. And then my boy Cav, you know, he he came to Philly a couple times. They're, you know, they're all pretty mad. Um. Uh, nothing. I mean, really sticks out. I mean, all they were all like really fun times, man. Cool. Well, yeah. I'm. I'm sort of all out of questions. Um, all right. Do you have any any closing words of wisdom for us? Anything you want to say to the, to the listeners? Um. Yeah. Uh. 2010. Be on the lookout. Watch my. Uh, watch my threads. If you know what website I was referring to. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if you want me mentioning it, but I do got my own thread on there to update and uh, my MySpace page. Um, I guess some you know some of you guys listening might already you know be a friend of mine, so just be on the lookout. 2010, when this weather breaks, I don't know if anybody heard, but we got dumped on like four feet of snow over like a you know two three week period here. So uh, once all this stuff clears up and the weather gets nice, I got. Boxes and boxes of paint in my basement, so it's definitely gonna be on. You will see Crispo 2.0. Cool. Well, thanks, man. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you, talk to you soon. All right, man. Later.